Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, Remarkably Remote is here to help you in this brave new remote working world. You can find Remarkably Remote on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who hopes he's making you proud. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. That is quite the intro song. Well sung by you. Never has there been an intro where I like made a point of watching the whole thing because it was so good. And about three episodes in was I like, yeah, I can skip this. That's enough. Skip That's enough intro. of that. Skip intro. I... Okay, let's start there with Sunderland Till I Die. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about episode five today, right? Time for Men. The time for Men. I don't think I'm a fan of the theme song. A lot of people seem to be. I feel like that theme song it has no sort of focus. Well, is it, is it? Okay, here's the, again, like, we don't want to go too negative too early. But I will say it's one of the confusing things about the documentary is I still don't quite understand what is tradition and what is sort of the documentary. So chanting Sunderland till I die. We hear them say that, but I don't know if that's as popular as the Sunderland, the greatest club in the world. Similarly, I didn't know if this was a song that they like always sing because we see the singer doing it at halftime when they set the record attendance no, for League One. It was specifically written for this. There we go. By okay. that guy who's a Sunderland fan. And mm-hmm. at the time that you see him performing it in one of the earlier episodes that's around the time that the, the first season was released i see right so it was big and they invite gotcha. but it really blurs some documentary lines right when you've got the theme song performed at halftime of a game it, yeah it, it was confusing <laughs> it was confusing uh it's it's not my favorite song i'll say that much i don't hate it but i don't love it all right well before we talk about episode five mm-hmm. which i'm going to call the uh the checker trade trophy final episode which is really what it is right um bit of news we want to share with our listeners there's not much soccer news these days right so we'll share we'll share whatever we can get it looks like from all the reporting that we're seeing that the u.s soccer development academy is going to be closed down there's a lot of journalists that I trust who are basically reporting this, even though it hasn't been, at least at time of recording, officially announced. Um, rather than Taylor and I taking guesses about what will happen, um, we will have an episode of Allocation Disorder in this feed on Friday. Paul Tenorio, Sam Steskel from The Athletic will be uh, giving you the full story of what's going on with the US Soccer Development Academy. Yeah, I, I trust them to have the information and the facts. Uh, but I am happy to just uh, spitball random ideas and see if they end up being the case. I mean, a lot of people have just taken to yelling, pay for play is bad on Twitter. Which, like, <laughs> what, what they're, not wrong. they're not wrong, but it's not <laughs> helping solve anything, is it? Yeah, I, I, I take the Walter Sobchak approach to that. You're not wrong, <laughs> but... <laughs> um, all right, should we get to mm-hmm. uh, Sunderland? Sunderland yeah. Till I Die, episode five... The time for men. Mm. We'll talk checker trade trophy final um, in a bit. But first, this opens with a Brexit march. Traitors. Traitors. <laughs> People Incredible. screaming traitors in the background. I don't know who are traitors in that situation, but somebody is. Which worth remembering, this is um, almost two years, no, two and a half years since the Brexit vote, right? The Brexit mm-hmm. vote was June of 2016. We are in January, February, March of 2019 at the start of this episode. 
Right, which is, I think, why they're, you hear them chanting traitors in the beginning, then you hear leave means leave. So this is, I'm assuming, around the time when it's being speculated that maybe there'll be a second referendum or maybe it'll be like yes. a soft Brexit or something like that. And I'm guessing that's what the consternation is in response to. And just for a minute, I mean, we, we don't talk politics much on this show, but I think it's mm-hmm. fair to say that I was very heavily in the leave because, um, mm-hmm. you know, I understand numbers. Um, Wait, no, you, were in the, <laughs> you were in Remain. In, Excuse in me. Oh, wow. wow. I can't I like, believe what? I just said that. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Pulling a fast one there, Daryl Grove. Yes, I was definitely in the Remain camp. Yeah. Apparently, I don't understand words, but I do understand numbers. Um, I think people just did an audio double take, however you do that, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I was really worried when I saw Peter, our favorite taxi driver, at that, mm-hmm. at that campaign. Me at too. That rally. It's one of yeah. the reasons why he became my favorite. Yeah. Um, but it turns out he, he sort of just talks about... He's there to just um, let people know that, you know, people of Sunderland have had it tough. Personally, I was Remain, uh, but, like, look at these look at these guys. God, God forbid it, it doesn't happen, as I think. Or God forbid it, I hope it doesn't happen in yes. response to leaving. Yes. So that made me like him more, and then him getting a haircut made me like him even more. <laughs> so... What I find really weird here is we have this Brexit rally at the start of this, this leave means leave rally, um, but we never come back to it, right? This doesn't seem like part of the overall story, except just to show it. And I wondered if you, like, maybe I'm a bit too close to it because I get quite emotional about Brexit. Um, did you see any any reason for this in this episode? Um, well, I any think thematic one of- things that I'm missing? I, I think the only thing would be they're trying to maybe dispel some of the stereotypes around Sunderland. And so I think like a lot of people watching, like my family members who don't know anything about Sunderland, the club or the city are sort of like, oh, like it's interesting the way they speak. They're, they seem like a curious people. They seem like a very passionate people. But I think <laughs> there is maybe this idea of them as this sort of working class town. They were all leave. They're all therefore like not good people, because if you're a person who wanted to remain, then you don't necessarily enjoy them. So I think we're trying to see, like, Peter being there being like, ah, but, you know, people have their feelings. And then we see Charlie Methven saying, like, I know all these Londoners who think that they're all bad, but in reality, like, they're good people. And I think maybe they're trying to dispel some of that notion of because they're working class, they're not, like, good people or they're not nice fans or what have you. But I don't think it really worked. So you think they're sort of showing us the stereotype of what people think people from Sunderland are? Because the background I can add on this is I know – that the Sunderland leave vote was beyond what was expected, right? They voted 61% to leave versus 39% to remain, whereas the national average was like much closer to like 52% to 48%. Mm-hmm. So Sunderland really went hard for Brexit, and that's why the city has that reputation. Um, so yeah, maybe they're just showing us the stereotype of what people in London think Sunderland people are like. Yeah, and I think it's also maybe they reached a point, like I doubt it was this, but it felt like this to me in the moment, that they reached a point where they kind of couldn't act like it wasn't happening. Because we see earlier in the season, like at one point when Charlie's giving a speech, he accidentally uses like the line for Brexit, like like together, like all together. Or no, no, that's the, um, th- that was the line for Remain, uh, okay. stronger together. Stronger together. And then yeah. he says like, oh, he- sorry, like not to use that slogan. And everybody yeah. kind of makes faces. He and- says not to use that failed slogan. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but yeah, it felt to me like they had sort of danced around it and sort of occasionally alluded to it. And maybe this was the moment where they felt like, okay, we have to kind of address it or kind of go into the fact that Brexit is a thing that exists during this season. Well, maybe they could have gone into the fact that um, in one of his uh, yeah. earlier roles, Charlie Methven uh, ran the PR company Dragon, which oh, the t- even the title of that makes me angry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's strong. You, but- want, you want to emote strength, Daryl. I guarantee you that was the entire thought process behind that. Raw. Um, so, <laughs> seen that Game uh, of Thrones dragon, right? That's what we want. That's what we are. We're tough. The dragon PR firm, which Charlie Methven was a huge part of, um, ran a campaign, Economist 
for Brexit, economists mm-hmm. for Brexit, that really like collected economists that made the case that leaving the EU would be good economically for Britain and helped sort of promote promote that idea. So we mm-hmm. know where either this is where Charlie stands on Brexit or it's where Charlie took a lot of money to stand on Brexit. Yeah. And and I don't want to get like too in the weeds too early on this stuff because I know it's it's there's much more narrative to be had. This is like a 10 second part of this episode. But I was this is another example for me of like the documentary being slightly confusing because we then sort of get Charlie Methven at home and he's talking about like, oh, I talked to my friends in London and they're all like, oh, Sunderland, like, aren't they English? Aren't they the ones who voted for Brexit? And it's like when you come like when you're far away from it, it's very different. But when you're here, it's it's lovely. And like, I wouldn't be able to have these experiences in London. And to me, that was very much presented as him being a Remainer. And yet, with all the work he's done, maybe he is lead. And it just, I didn't quite understand what they were trying to get across aside from some people were for Brexit and some people weren't. And that's the end of the story. Like, it, it, it didn't really make sense to me what they were trying to get at here. No, and also, I would argue that a lot of the people that did vote for Brexit, it's sort of a protest vote because economic conditions were not good in the UK, right? They're coming through a time of austerity. Sunderland's a city where, you know, the shipbuilding economy isn't there anymore. Um, so those people genuinely do have it tough. Um, but the the house that Charlie's in, that is not... Yeah. That's in a much more... Um, yeah. <laughs> upper class socioeconomic area than most of those most of those Brexit voting people live. So basically Sunderland's all very nice when you have London money and come up to Sunderland and have a really nice house with a nice view out the back window. That, yes. And I mean, yeah. he does seem to have an entire estate, even though I'm sure it's not. But it, he's got this giant field behind him. It looks yeah. quite I mean, It's not his field, me. but it's still a very nice little area that he's living in. I'm sure he yeah. thinks it's It's his not field. tenement housing, put it that way. <laughs> I definitely think he's named that Charlie's field. Um, <laughs> I was confused. We talked about it's this a little Meth bit It's Meadows. Here. That is definitely what he would call it. You're right. Charlie's Field is too is too uh, working class, I'm sure. <laughs> Meth and Meadows. Um, the thing that confused me a little bit is when he says, talking about the people in London, like, aren't they all English? And and that was really confusing to me. I think I get it more now, and I think I get maybe, like, the idea of what he's going for behind it. But, like, that to me in the moment was like, but, yeah, and so are the people in London. Like, aren't the people it's, who live in England English? So can you explain what, what you think might, maybe he meant by that? Yeah, it's just about London being cosmopolitan, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I, I, look, I looked this up, 37% of the people who live in London were not born in the UK, right? It's a very cosmopolitan, it's a world city, right? It's like, you know, London, Paris, Tokyo, New York, There's a lot of people who are not from there um, gather there because it's a world city that attracts people, whereas mm-hmm. Sunderland is not, right? People are not moving from Japan to Sunderland. And here's the thing then that like, that makes entire, that makes total sense to me, but now kind of combining that with maybe Charlie being in favor of leaving and and doing the work he did, it then makes me wonder, like, is this the Jack Donaghy thing of talking about New Yorkers thinking like, oh, the rest of America is just this weird America. Like, ew, the rest of America. Yeah, it is. Those are the real Americans. And like, he's he's actually saying the line that would infuriate people in Sunderland. Yeah, because he's using it as like those others. I don't think he realizes how patronizing he sounds. I see. Yeah. Okay. He he's trying to say like, "Hey, I'm good with these like weird mm-hmm. working class people," but by using that the sort of phrasing, um, he comes across as very patronising, which is definitely the theme of Sunderland Till I Die. Is Charlie patronises everyone? Yeah. Oh, but yes, that that is true. But I mean, even like on a next level, like tactical brain mindset of being like, yeah, these Londoners say like, "Ooh, aren't they English?" But the Sunderland people would be like, "Yeah, we're English. This is England." And like, he's almost saying that as a like that feels like a line they would use of like, "Yes, this is proper England. We should be English. We should not be European." And so that almost felt like he was sort of using that nefariously as a way to then otherize the Londoners, but like ingratiate himself. Basically, I think Charlie is a bit tactical in the way he goes about things. Is I, guess I what I'm don't at. think he's as smart as you think he is. Okay. 
<laughs> well, I think I think I, I think he has money in his voice as mm-hmm. opposed to intelligence. I mean, and it tricks he, people. He's yeah, he's definitely got money in his voice and money on his mind. Can we talk about that, or should we hold off for now? Well, let, actually, let's go to the next scene because sure. the next scene it is about money, but it's not about Charlie. It's Stuart Donald, and you told me the guy's name is Neil Fox, who is uh, yes. sort of like Stuart's right hand man. Is that right? And one of the directors. They're talking about the need for investment. They're essentially mm-hmm. saying, or Stuart's essentially saying. I don't have enough money to make a success of this. We need more investment. Yeah. yeah, and and that was where, like, again, the numbers being thrown out were mildly confusing to me because I think what he was saying is basically, like, we can barely afford to operate as we are now, especially because of the sort of lavish spending from the previous administration. So now we've done what we can, but we can barely exist in League One to move to the championship, which at the time it looks like they may well do. We definitely can't compete there. Is that roughly what he's saying? I think. I mean, I find it a little confusing, to be honest, but they were mostly talking about how their wage bill is, what, £14 million a year or something, and the mm-hmm. average wage bill, or the, even the top-end wage bill in League One is about £6 million a year. Right. Um, so that's sort of unsustainable, right? Because the, the, the numbers don't add up, essentially. The ends don't meet, to use the old-fashioned phrase, um, if you keep doing that in League One. But if you get promoted to the championship, obviously you have to spend a little bit more money even to compete, right? So I think, I think the essence of it is every which way you look, we need more money. We either need more money to stay afloat yeah. in League One or we'll need more money if we go up to compete in the championship. Therefore, we need to bring in some outside investment. And later in the episode, you do see um, Stuart leading those guys around. Um, we didn't get their names, right? Unless mm-hmm. I missed it, they deliberately didn't tell us the names of the guy who wears a sweater as a scarf and uh, Santa on the Atkins diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I believe all three of them are American. If they're the ones who eventually take over, I think he's brought in some some Americans. No, but you hear them. But you hear them talking. They're not American, right? Oh, okay. Skinny so Santa was group. Skinny Santa was not American. Skinny Santa. Uh, you know, you know what I, I mean, like- right? I did love the hard sell on the uh, academy facility. That, yes. was, that was a good one. That like, you know you're getting the stadium, but you don't know about the world-class training facilities. It's like, is that, is that what they're going for? The owners, I feel like they're there to go to games and make money. I feel like that's why you buy a football team. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have no idea. I've never bought one. Um, the other, well, give it time. Give it time, Daryl. The other one that I wanted to hit on really quickly when it comes to the finances, I'm not like, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but maybe you know because Leaves, League Wolves were in League One. Whew, I combined some words there. Do you know what the bonus is when you move from League One to Championship is roughly? Because obviously, when you move from Championship to Premier League, it's a ton of money with the TV revenue and everything. And I'm assuming there is a slight financial windfall. And I don't know if that's the 18 million that Stuart was talking about in there. Stuart Donald says, like, we've got the 18 million, but that's already ear marked so i wasn't sure if that was what he was talking about there of like even the money we have coming in if we go to the championship we kind of can't spend i think he's talking about parachute payments okay because you get you know if you get relegated from the premier league you Mm -hmm. get i can't remember how many years it's like two or three years of parachute payments where it's like you were in the premier league here's some money to help you land (laughs) Um, that makes that makes a lot more sense because he does seem if nothing else he seems like a, a, a businessman. He understands how finances work, and I think he understands part of the problem with where Sunderland found themselves is sort of spending more than they should have been spending. And so it felt like if he was sort of banking on uh, promotion money coming in, that would be gambling on if we do this, then we get this. Otherwise, we're in trouble. Yeah. It makes much more sense to be banking on money that they know is guaranteed coming in from parachute payments. So and that I, makes a lot of sense. And obviously, the problem with parachute payments is they don't last forever. Eventually, right. you land on the ground and there's no mm-hmm. more parachute. Um, <laughs> and again, that's why um, they need investment, right? So mm-hmm. once again, we, we do see those two guys have a look around later on. 
Um, but I don't think those guys invest. We can, like a bit of research you and I have done, right, Taylor? We do know that later that same year, I think it's around about October, November of 2019, mm-hmm. they do get an American consortium, which, ta- which called themselves Sunderland FFP, uh, come in and invest. They said eight figures, so we guess around £10 million pounds, um, without diluting anyone's ownership share. So that actually seems like the type of investment. It seems like exactly what they were looking for is what they get in the future. But obviously that's not caught on camera. So we don't have a resolution to that story unless we look things up in the Chronicle in the future. Unless. I do hope that it's it's uh, eight figures, but it's with like like uh, the two, the decimal and then the two cents spaces. <laughs> that's what they're alluding to. <laughs> like, it's, it's less impressive then, although I doubt that's the case. <laughs> it's 10 pounds and eight decimal places. <laughs> <laughs> so they do it looks like they do get uh, 10 million pounds worth mm-hmm. of investment all right the the other big major thing in this episode is the checker trade trophy final um before we get to that taylor we mm-hmm. should get dressed up for the cup final i think we should i mean it's what everybody else did uh all the uh the board members were in their finest i don't think we can find the red and white striped uh tie but if we need to find a tie or a suit or anything like that then the black tux has us covered covered because we can find the perfect fit without leaving our home which again given the world we live in is is an ideal thing the black tux has easy online ordering processes that brings your pseudo tuxedo straight to you you pick a style at the you request a free home try on and you can feel the fit and quality before you commit which i think is ideal if we are going to attend a cup final you're right there we should uh dress in our finest and my finest is probably not as impressive as what would be required for a cup final so i need somebody else's finest and of course today's show is sponsored by the black tux so mm-hmm. the black tux gives you all kinds of options for individuals or for groups so if you're going to um a wedding or mm-hmm. the checker trade trophy final um you can get decked out in some absolutely lovely gear Oh, I like that idea. I like that if you have like a bunch of the board going, then you can like like you, Charlie, if you want the control, you can pick the one suit that you think everyone should wear slash the one that you look the best in is definitely how he would go. Uh, And then everybody can buy that exact same one. And now you all look uniform and well put together. It, it does have a matchy-matchy vibe, and I think maybe that's what they would be going for. Matchy-matchy. Um, or if you've sort of never been fitted for a suit before, mm-hmm. you can use the Find My Fit option, where you answer some basic questions about your height, your weight, your shoulder size, and so on. And then mm-hmm. you can see what options the Black Tux has for you. They use 100% merino wool on their suiting, 100% cotton for the shirting, and real leather for the shoes. Stay tuned. They've only just begun. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to expand their offerings, which is impressive, given that they already have many, many different offerings of many, many different styles. I almost, sometimes I get overwhelmed by choice and I did feel like looking at some of the things they have that if I were looking for a suit or a tuxedo, I would spend a lot of time on that website because they've got many, many things that appealed. It was one of those like, oh, I like that one and I like that one and if you open up new tabs for every single one you like, eventually you have way too many tabs open. <laughs> you are a tab opener. Um, whether you're looking to buy your outfit or looking to rent your outfit, theblacktux.com is the way to go. Um, mm-hmm. You can order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code soccer. That's the blacktux.com code soccer for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. Thank you very much to the Black Tux for sponsoring today's episode. Now that we're done with that, I didn't want to put this in the body of the, the ad, but I did want to say, Daryl, how dare you accuse me of being a tab opener? You're I a have tab opener. Some tab openers. I am not a my wife slash George Qureshi tab opener of having that. Just <laughs> that gives me if you can't tell what you have open because you have so many tabs that you can't even read the description. It make it gives me genuine anxiety, and I have to close things fast. Do you want to hear a joke in extremely poor taste? Sure. Leonardo is a tab opener. <laughs>
it took me a minute. It took me a minute. <laughs> he he kind of did. He kind of did open that one up, didn't he? He sure did. It's oh, not funny, boy. actually. It was actually very, very, very bad. And yeah. boo that man for that. He did apologize afterwards, though. Um, Even so, all right. Still boo that man. Still the, boo that man. The rest of the episode is all about <laughs> Sunderland's run and appearance mm. in the Checker Trade Trophy final before we get into it taylor i think it's worth explaining what the checker trade trophy is it's the thing that's going to put us back on the map yeah i would argue that this documentary doesn't Mm -hmm. really do a good job of explaining exactly what the checker trade trophy is no we we get that one voiceover from the bbc pundit who's my second favorite person on this show saying basically like i've I've been a big fan of it since since it established because it gives uh lower tiered clubs an opportunity to go to wembley which they wouldn't otherwise get and the idea behind that is basically because it's a competition exclusively for league one league two and then what 16 u21 teams yes so league one and league two teams are 48 teams total then you add in 16 16 under 21 teams from the Premier League and the uh, the championship. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a straight knockout competition. You do have sort of a group stage. Then you've got the knockout round. Uh, but the idea being that you basically don't then have to play uh, Man City or Liverpool or the bigger teams. And then the championship teams who we've already established have the bigger budget would probably destroy uh, at the very least some of the League Two sides. So you get an opportunity to play in a cup competition that you have a reasonable chance of making the final. Okay, the first glimpse we see of the Mm. Checker Trade Trophy is the round of 16, so we'll be on the group stage, Mm -hmm. and it's Sunderland versus Newcastle under-21s. Yeah. And I feel like a big thing that I don't think was covered is how embarrassing that is for Sunderland. Yeah, because instead they kind of paint it as like the Derby that's not a Derby but is a Derby, and and it's uh I think the our soldier friend whose name I always forget is saying like oh it's it's a Derby like it's a big game you always want to beat them but yeah when you're playing their reserve team and it's your senior team it might be fun to win four nil but you're still beating their reserve team four nil and you're playing your first team. It's also evidence of how far they've fallen, right? Is that you're reduced to competing against Newcastle's under-21s when not mm-hmm. so long ago you were having Premier League uh, yeah. Tyneweir derbies, right? And, and, and we're actually, kind of consistently I, winning those derbies as well, as I recall. Some of them were always sort of the thorn in Newcastle side, although Newcastle may be the thorn in Newcastle side as well. <laughs> um, worth noting, I looked at the, um, the starting eleven for this game. Sunderland didn't really field their strongest team. Okay, it was a bit better. of it was a bit of a half and half uh, f- uh, first team second team. Like for example, okay. I don't believe Will Griggs starts this game. Oh, is he first team? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, he he does not. And it is it is definitely a few of their like more reserve players for sure. There are some of their academy players, some players that they had on loan who I think weren't getting as many minutes at that point. Yeah, so it's not it's not a full full first team. But mm. like, like you said, they do win four 0 um, they don't show us the quarterfinal, which you said was against Man City's under-21s. Yep. Um, they do show us the uh, two-legged, I believe, semi-final against Bristol, which um, you said to me off air you think is maybe the high point of Sunderland's season in hindsight. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a 2 0 win uh, on the road. I, I'm not even sure that was home and away. I think it was just one fixture. Oh, they okay. just drew They just drew uh, the road straw. But it's on the road. Uh, they win 2 0. It's Stuart Donald in with the crowd celebrating the goals, but it's Will Griggs scoring the opener. And that felt in the moment like if you're Stuart Donald, here's the guy that I brought in to score goals in big moments. He scored the goal that could put us in the final. We're potentially going to Wembley. We're in a position where we're probably going to get promoted. Like everything feels good. I think I figured this out. And that has to be the, the moment before you're going to Wembley when you, when now we know doesn't go very well I feel like is that moment of we've done it we're on the way this feels like it's all really really right and I would argue from this point on it's a little bit of a downward slope for the season oh yeah oh yeah 
Mm. But they do. But they do win the semi-final. They do, and they mm-hmm. do have a trip to Wembley coming up. So for those who don't they know, do. the, che- the Checker Trade Trophy final, it's like end of March, right? So it's not like season closing. It's kind of, kind of mid-spring um, trip to Wembley for the Checker Trade Trophy. So Checker Trade, the Checker Trade is the sponsor. Currently, it's known as the Leasing dot com Trophy. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor, do you know what Checker Trade does? Uh, they check if your trades are good. They do. Is that true? Well, probably <laughs> I had not. No idea. Probably, but not the way you meant it. It's more like uh-huh. um, an Angie's List type thing. Oh, okay. As in, you know, so trade is like you know you're a plumber oh, or a carpenter. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's sort of like a, a list of who who's actually good at their job. So it's like a peer reviewed checker trade. You know, check your tradesman kind of thing. Oh, that's a good name. Yeah, I like that. It is right. I have a feeling I know what leasing.com does. <laughs> that, that one's slightly more straightforward although check a trade now that you say it is pretty straightforward as well yeah <laughs> uh, well actually my wife watching this thought it was like a uh, a check cashing thing like you could I thought it, go I thought in it was, and trade your check for cash that makes sense as well i thought it was like like um like trading stocks like it was like you're checking the status of a stock that oh, felt I like see. a financial uh contributor but you're right if it's like no, Ro- the robin hood's the only way to go with that right yeah i mean obviously obviously <laughs> All right, so we have Checker Trade Trophy final. Mm-hmm. It's Sunderland against Portsmouth. It's um, it's a big, big game if you're a Sunderland fan because they haven't been to Wembley in a good long while. And as some people say, it's like once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, not knowing that they'll be going back two months later for the playoff final. And maybe quite rightly because they, at that point, are in the automatic promotion spots, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This also, though, felt for a moment like... It's only about three watches to put this together. You remember the Bane speech in The Dark Knight Rises about, like, like you think darkness is your ally? Like, I was born in darkness, molded by it? Yeah. That feels a bit like Portsmouth. Like, Portsmouth have done this exact same trajectory yes. as Sunderland. And, it, and if you're a Portsmouth fan, you must be like, we don't even get a documentary made about us. We just have to suffer <laughs> in silence over here. <laughs> or maybe they were smart enough not to let the cameras in. Also that. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get to the final, I think yeah. there's a really interesting meeting where they're essentially uh, Sunderland are sitting down uh, trying yeah. to figure out how to make the most money possible from the Checker Trade Trophy final. And this is where I, I knew for sure that Charlie Methman would succeed at, at being a businessman in the United States. We must be seen to be fair, but at the same time, we must act, uh, we must act in a business-like way and make as much money as possible. We must yep. seem to be fair, but make as much money as possible. That feels like what is the foundational operational policy of American businessmen. <laughs> and my understanding of what goes on in this scene is that you, you, know, you have this prize thing, right? It's a trip to Wembley. And if people don't know, like, going to Wembley is a big moment for a lot of teams, especially smaller teams. Like if Wolves go to Wembley, I'm excited, right? Um, definitely if Sunderland are going to Wembley, the town is excited, the fans are excited. It's a big day out in London, and it's also a big showpiece final with your team at the centre of it. You want a ticket to this game. So the way that Charlie is proposing to make money from this um, is to put tickets to Wembley on sale to season ticket holders first. Like, you know, they get first access to the tickets. And it seems like he wants to get more people to buy either season tickets or club memberships so that they then have access to the Wembley tickets. Mm. And that's why he talks about, like, if you get, what, an extra 3,000 people spending £20 Mm -hmm. to get access to the Wembley tickets, that's like 60,000 quid, as he says. 
Yep. And it's worth noting here, like they mentioned this very briefly, uh, Charlie Methvin, when he was involved with Oxford United, uh, they had been to the Checker Trade Trophy or whatever the sponsorship name was at that time uh, twice, uh, a couple seasons before. And so he does know what he's talking about, I think, in terms of knowing how much money you can make from this competition. Yeah. And I think is maybe that does explain a little bit of, I think, why he is being so blunt is because he is sort of looking at this as like, I've done this before. I know what we made. I'm going to do that again and make this amount again. So I don't really want to hear other ideas about how to bring in fans, forgetting that like he's talking to the person whose job it is is to talk to the fans and make sure they're happy yeah so the supporter liaison officer right mm-hmm. there's this youngish guy who suggests that maybe if you've been to an earlier round of the checker trade trophy games which you know mm-hmm. don't sell well right it's not as if it's sold you notice that like the newcastle mean, game was not yeah. sold out they try um, to make it look better than it was yeah, yeah sure. like some tight camera angles um he suggests that maybe if you've been to a checker trade trophy game you should have access to tickets to the final because he knew that he knows that that will be popular mm-hmm. with fans but Charlie's very much like, no, I want to focus on my idea, which is to make the most money. And I really want to like raise this question t- for us, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Charlie is distasteful, right? Like, I think I said to you, like, he, he, he awakens the class warfare in me. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but is he, even though he's unlikable in this scene, is he right that a club like Sunderland does need to make as much money as possible from this event? I'm kind of I, suggesting I think- that he is. I think he is probably a necessary evil for Stuart Donald. I think it's fairly revealing that we don't really ever see those two interacting. When we do, it's on the phone and they're in different locations. Stuart, I think, goes back to his home. That is probably part of it. And Charlie seems to be staying in Sunderland in that area. But I think he's probably the person who does a lot of the less glamorous, even though he's trying to make them seem glamorous. But he's the one who has to crack the whip, probably fire some people uh, and, and do that sort of job. So though I think he goes about it distastefully and talks very bluntly in a way that sort of reveals his status and how he doesn't really take other people's experiences and lives into account. I think he's probably still there for the reason that we see in this moment. Oh, I, that's, that's interesting. I have heard and have, mm-hmm. I've seen evidence in this documentary that he wasn't like in and around the club offices as much as this documentary would have you believe. Interesting. Do you remember that scene when they're trying to sell the tickets on Boxing Day? Yeah. Where he said, he's saying, like, people leave at 4.59. Yeah. And the... Uh, Tony oh, Davidson. Tony Davidson says, you don't know, you're not here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think there's definitely a thing of him wanting to present as if he's there all the time. Yeah. But he's not there even half as much as he pretends that he is. Yeah. I forgot they do have that argument where he's like, I think that you're being very unfair. Like, what, like when was the last time you saw that happen? And yeah. then there definitely is that moment of like, oh, I can't say for sure because then I'm revealing that it was three weeks ago or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I think it's mostly just that we keep seeing him in around Sunderland. He's having a beer with the fans. And maybe that is part of the documentary that he's uh, intentionally putting on a good face. I, yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah. But I, but I think that, yes, I think he is probably brought in to be the commercial officer to raise as much money as is possible. Um, and so with that comes maybe a little bit of that ruthlessness as opposed to the, uh, yeah, let's incorporate people who might only be able to afford check-a-trade trophy uh, tickets because they're a little bit cheaper. So we should sort of incorporate other people. But no, I just want to make a million quid. <laughs> he, sure, he sure does. And in the mm-hmm. end, 85,000 people go to Wembley between, mm-hmm. between Sunderland and Portsmouth. And Sunderland fans have a lot farther to go because Portsmouth, Portsmouth's right on the south coast, in case people don't know. So it's a lot closer to London uh, than Sunderland, which is all the way up in the north. East. Uh, I did enjoy that the way they marketed that was 85,021 people. Uh, the highest attended match in the UK that weekend. <laughs> like it, was, it, was, it was very, very quietly added in that weekend. The only Wembley game that weekend. <laughs> 
It uh, apparently set a new attendance record for the Football League trophy, surpassing the 1988 final. But again, I think that is a lot to do with the fact that it's two teams that were very recently in the Premier League, yeah. one of whom won the FA Cup fairly recently. Wait, was the 88 final Wolves? I'm pretty sure Wolves won this in around 87 or 88. I'm going to look into that later. I will tell you right now, it was. You beat Burnley 2-0. Brilliant. And how many people were there? Uh, 80,841. I just oh, know okay. this off the top of my head. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you're, just, you're just a stat man. Pretty much. Pretty Taylor, much. Taylor's got all the EFL trophy attendance stats just in his head, right? Yeah, who doesn't? Taylor's favorite tournament. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's kind of, it's, honestly, it grew on me. It really has grown on me. Really? Because the thing that I find most effective in this documentary is showing how much the club means to the fans. Yes. And it, and it is sort of like the... The like the idea of like you change your expectations based on the competition you're in, and it sort of is like you're really sad when you get relegated from the Premier League to the Championship, and then from the Championship to League One. But I think as soon as you process that relegation, okay, it's a new season, it's a new competition. This is where we are. Let's do it. And so I think that these people who previously were c- caring about like, are we going to stay in the Premier League? Are we going to go further in the FA Cup? Are we going to compete with our local rivals? It probably is now that much more meaningful because, okay, here's an opportunity to be back in Wembley and it gives us that feeling. And so it really drove home that, like, it almost made me, like, want to start covering it more regularly on the show, but we probably won't. Maybe we'll do the final next year, maybe. I think I'm busy that day. Um, (laughs) So to give you an idea of the profile of this, this game was not televised in the U.S. Mm -hmm. It was televised in the U.K. Sky Sports has the rights to the Checker Trade Trophy final, netherleasing.com final, and they also screened two other games, probably the... Probably the semi-finals, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not the highest of profile tournaments, uh, but they do put the final on television. So, so there is that. And mm-hmm. genuinely, those Sunderland fans looked like they were having a great old time going down to London, congregating in, I'm pretty sure it's Covent Garden, the area they're in, and just not paying London beer prices, which is like five or six pounds a pint, but instead taking their own cans and drinking yep. their cans in the street. Yeah, that, 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 that was all great. Like, you get the atmosphere, you get the kind of festivity and the festival of it all and the experience of it all. And even watching, like, I went and watched some extended highlights of this game because I wanted to see what it actually looked like as opposed to kind of what we see in the documentary. And all the comments are from Sunderland fans talking about, like, oh, we'll get him next year, we'll be back next year, but also, like, once in a lifetime and the atmosphere and how loud it was. It, you do get an idea that it was a, a sort of once in a lifetime opportunity, as that one woman said, uh, for her 12 year old to go to Wembley. Unless they were there two months later, but yes, unless that at the time it felt like <laughs> once in a lifetime. Um, did it, for an American audience, did it strike you as weird that people were drinking open alcohol containers just in public in the street? No, because I kind of just assume you can do that in London. Okay, I mean, yeah, I know you, you can't, but you can. No, it's, it's you perfectly can? legal. Yeah, you can just um, walk around and drink cans of of, of lager. Yes, always so lager. It's it's perfectly legal to do that. Um, cities can um, shut things down. If they mm-hmm. want to, like if they think there's going to be trouble in a the place, they can say no, no alcohol containers. And police can ask you to stop if they think something's going on. But in mm-hmm. general, um, it, it's completely legal to do that. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Uh, not that I plan on, on, uh, on doing that, but this did feel. You take a brown that- paper bag, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the that's the Americanization of it. Uh, th- this did feel like the great meme of like how Americans see uh, British people, and it's ever, like they're all in, like three piece suits versus how the rest of the world sees British people, and it's just guys passed out in the street. Yes. It was it was a sort of good juxtaposition here. <laughs> Do you want to get to the final itself? Sure. So, spoiler alert, in case you haven't mm-hmm. seen the 2019 Checker Trade Trophy final, I'm sure it was on your list of things to watch. Um, after extra time, it's Portsmouth 2, Sunderland 2. Um, two goals from Aidan McGeady uh, for Sunderland. Sunderland lose on penalties uh, because Lee Catamol misses. 
Yes, and there was much confusion about the penalty shootout uh, that I've seen from Sunderland fans about why it was Lee Catamull taking it, why it wasn't George Honeyman, who I think a lot of people expected, their central midfielder wearing number 10. You would have maybe expected him. I believe he said captaining as well. I think he said like yeah. to captain Sunderland to a win. So you would have maybe expected him to take one, but he does not. Instead, it's Lee Catamull, who I would not have backed to score his penalty, and it didn't seem like anybody else in attendance would have either. Why do you say that? Oh, just just the vibe. I mean, they say afterwards, like, I never would have let him take one. I think that's Cab Driver Peter says that one. But the vibe as he's walking up was sort of like, oh, this might not be good. And, like, I think of him as a defensive midfielder. I don't necessarily think of him as being this goal scorer, this clinical striker who you want in that moment taking, was it the third penalty or does he miss the second one? I think it's the third. But was there, was there anything in there that made you think looking at it like he's going to miss this? Or is it just like you're just getting that vibe from hearing what people said? Uh, mostly the vibe. Uh, he's very. He seems very for as being an aggr- as aggressive as a tackler as he is. He's very unemotional. It seems like he's he kind of keeps a a very placid fa- face unless he's screaming at people to do better. But in the, as he walks up, it definitely was just like maybe it's the face. But I think a lot of it was just like they're very like clearly cueing you in with the music that like oh something is about to go yeah. wrong. It's probably Lee Catamaran. That, that's why normally you and I are pretty good at breaking down penalties, right? I'd say mm. you more than me. But that's because we've watched the game in the context of an actual football game, right? Whereas when you watch it in Sunderland Till I Die, because of the musical cues and the foreshadowing when you cut away to various fans, mm. like it's it's all it's all too much, right? It's already heavily weighted against Lee Catamall because yeah. everybody knows what's going to happen. Yeah, that is true. So he misses his. Can I tell you my favorite part of the penalty shootout, which I think they didn't quite do a very good job of explaining in the documentary? I mean, Lyndon Gooch, right? But do you know why he does what he does? No, why does he, why does he do what he does? Because I think Portsmouth win the coin toss and choose to take the penalties in front of their fans. So that is literally the Portsmouth end, that he makes his... It's an amazing penalty. He puts it like top corner, and then he shushes that whole side. Oh, I didn't see so that part. Shushing. I just saw a good penalty. I didn't see the shush. Yeah, he then puts his, his finger to his mouth and does the shush to oh. all of the Portsmouth fans, which I thought was pretty solid from Lyndon this, Gooch. Sunderland Till I Die would be a lot better if it just followed Lyndon Gooch all season. I'd be fine with that. Yeah. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about um, the following Charlie Methven and Stuart mm-hmm. Donald. Uh, yeah. throughout this game they both I mean Charlie especially had a lot to say mm-hmm. um, I listened to um, the Wise Men Say podcast which is a Sunderland podcast I think it's featured in uh, at least the first season a little bit in yeah. the second season it, it, I'm constantly aware of it because they're always standing when they record which is not a thing that I'm <laughs> used to certainly from when we do our podcast and I, I've suggested that to you a couple of times but you're not going for <laughs> it I, yeah, I'd, I always I'd just down. go the Dwight Shute role of like Dwight Shute uh, thing in the office where he tries the standing desk and like eventually has to like lie and put stilts at his pants <laughs> <laughs> we're in we're in better shape than Dwight Shute <laughs> or maybe you are but, I don't know he can outrun a black bear that's well, they, all I'm the Wiseman Side Podcast made the very good point of Charlie Methven was obviously mic'd up for the cup final. Yes. It wasn't like they were just like had the camera on him from a distance and like maybe someone snuck in with a microphone. He was 100% mic'd up. And I think um, oh, dude. Um, they didn't make this connection, but I'm definitely making it now. I think that's why he's given essentially the running commentary ostensibly to his wife slash girlfriend, I assume wife. Um, but really it's for the cameras, right? That constant that constant yeah. commentary and narrative that Ugh. Charlie Methven has given us throughout this entire game. And I think he's trying to prove a point about how much he knows about football. Yeah, the mic'd up thing never occurred to me. 
that like I just assumed it's a documentary. Like, yeah, you're going to have it mic'd up in case there's some interaction. Uh, we'll see that at the very end of the next episode. But here, yeah, you're right. It, it is even if it is just in case something happens, you still, if you're Charlie Methvin, are aware that that mic is active, and yep. therefore you're going to maybe play that part a bit more. We do see him screaming a lot in this We game. see him screaming a lot. We also see him essentially mansplaining the sport to um, what I'm going to, again, assume is his wife. And it's mm-hmm. almost like a meme, right? The way she first just looks away and basically ignores what he's saying <laughs> until she eventually, eventually turns him to calm down, sweetheart. Did you notice that she laughs when Portsmouth score? When no. They equalize? She looks away and you can see her laughing because she knows he's going to go insane. <laughs> like, <laughs> like she really does look away from him and you can see her like big smile on her face. Not even like she's gloating or like enjoying his misery, but just like I know what's coming. Yeah. And it's going to be ridiculous. Some, some comedy's coming. <laughs> and he does. I don't know. Did you notice the elderly couple seated directly in front of them? Because not to, this might not be a surprise to you. I, I rewound the scene like 15 times just watching all of the reactions of everybody in that immediate circle. And there's an elderly couple in their in their full suit. They're clearly Sunderland people. They have he has the Sunderland tie on, and he just turns around and looks back like, "What is your problem?" <laughs> like, and even when Sunderland equalized later on, and Charlie Methvin goes running down the stairs, he again looks at him like, "All right, you can have your celebration now. I know you're going to freak out," and he does. And it's and it's great to watch the people around Charlie Methvin watch Charlie Methvin. His problem is he's mic'd up and he's an egomaniac. Right. Awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so definitely the way this is cut together suggest that Charlie knows what he's talking about, right? When uh, when Aidan McGeady's standing over that free kick, he says, oh, this is like the perfect place for a right footer to mm-hmm. take a free kick. Just before one of, the, one of the Portsmouth goals, right, yeah. Just before one of the Portsmouth goals, he talks about the overload, which does exist mm-hmm. um, on the on Portsmouth's left, Sunderland's right. It's like three players against against Luke O'Neill, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I can't help wondering, is this like um, not a stopped clock, more like a, a clock endlessly spinning in circles is right yeah. at least mm-hmm. once a game? Yes. Um, Or is it that he really knows what he's talking about? And I think it's the endlessly spinning clock. Yeah, I think it's probably that. I do think if we want to be a little bit courteous to him, it's probably also that it's an easy way to narrate the game so that if we're not watching the whole thing, we can hear like, oh, this is happening. Oh, we're yeah. not playing very well. Oh, they're overwhelming normally us. Like the it, BB- it gives us insight. Normally the BBC commentator is doing that for us, right? The BBC exactly. Newcastle commentator, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I, I guess they didn't want the commentator. So <laughs> instead, I mean, they do use it in the beginning, right? They use the like, oh, Sunderland are all over Portsmouth here. Yeah. Uh, and, and by all accounts from reading the match report of this game, that was true. That it, it did seem as though Sunderland should have been up like 3-0 at halftime. Yeah. Uh, and really didn't take their chances. Portsmouth adjusted. And then they were able to pull two back. Um, the, I do want to talk about Aidan McGeady. Sure. So he scores both goals for he Sunderland does. In this game, he scores the free kick, which you said takes a deflection, right? I hadn't mm-hmm. spotted that, but um, yep. and then he also has a nice little Maradona-esque little like swivel of the hips, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then near post uh, inside the near post finish for the equaliser in extra time. Um, they don't really talk about it in this season, but Aidan McGeady, I think, is a fascinating and almost perfect footballer for Sunderland. By which I mean he's super talented, has a mm-hmm. like a really big reputation or did at one point but is sort of playing way below the level he expected to be playing at this point yeah that that makes a lot of sense and maybe also feels like a signing that would have been with an eye towards like being back in the championship and having that success or like a player that they well, keep he was around. already there right he yeah exactly. a player that they keep around in order to like go back to the championship and you have that player who can perform and is kind of used to it but maybe also if you don't go up is going to start to get pretty agitated about being yep. in league one and that is what happens in the end that i think so this season which we're you know it's currently on pause uh, the 2019-20 season, he gets essentially booted out of Sunderland Football Club by the by the new manager, mm-hmm. right? So yep. Adam McGeady's time at Sunderland 
does not end well. If people aren't familiar with him, though, he really was like this exciting, young, dribbly teenage talent um, at Celtic who made the slightly odd career decision to then go and spend four years playing for Spartak Moscow. Yeah. As you do, you know. I think I'm going to guess money was involved. I think he made a lot of money on that deal. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah. then he then he went to Everton and did not do well at all. Mm-hmm. And then Sunderland in 2017-18 was his next move. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes on bikes. Yeah. Um, are you familiar? Like, this is a big spoiler alert for what's to come. Do you know what happens to the remainder of the season, Daryl? In For Sunderland in this season? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've seen the, I've seen episode six. Okay, so spoiler alert for people who have not. Fast forward like a minute. So they lose to Charlton in the final. Do you know where Aiden McGeady is now? Uh, Charlton, yeah. That is correct. Yeah. Yes. So it feels like insult to injury of you're not with us anymore and you're going with the team that beat us to get to the championship. Oof. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also – here's the other thing that, that threw me about him. Um, I knew he played for Ireland and I kept being like, but – he doesn't sound Irish to me. Like he's he's an Irish international, but I kept being like, but that's not. And he's born in Scotland. Yeah, that's, that was the thing that was throwing me off. Yeah, he just has Irish uh, parentage, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like um, same with uh, Will Grigg, right? Will Grigg was born in Birmingham, but mm-hmm. I think he has a Northern Irish grandfather. I think it was. So that's why he plays for Northern Ireland. All right, there yeah. we go, and and it makes sense because that'll get you to a European Championship. <laughs> it sure will. It sure will. So I mean, playing for England would as well, but I think we know which one of those is more likely for him. <laughs> well, in 2016, you're better off not playing for England. Um, <laughs> so uh, they they lose the Checker Trade Trophy final. Anything else you want to talk about from this game? Um, no, I don't think so. Aside from I, I felt genuinely sad for the fans. Yeah, um, is this the, is this the s- final where the one fan says, "Why is it always the other team celebrating?" Why is yep, it never us celebrating? So. It, it might be this one. It might be the next one because either way is a bummer. Uh, but uh, again, spoiler alert. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, it, it was that like, again, the most compelling part of this documentary is the fans and what it means to them and how much they care about it. And to see a whole stadium super happy and then gutted and then more gutted and then really happy again and then sad again. It was a lot of emotions uh, in a very short period of time. Yeah. And you really, this is one of the episodes where you really felt it, right? You felt the Mm -hmm. sort of the optimism, the trip to London, which is all exciting. And then what happens when you get there and the, the big downer, yeah, you really got the feeling for what the fans are going through um, in, Mm -hmm. in this episode. And yet we still ended up with the camera being a lot of the time on Charlie who I'm, yeah. I really am starting to get annoyed with in this in this show. It's almost like, I don't know, he's like a Piers Morgan type figure. You know what I'm saying? And in, yeah, in mean, some ways he's good television, but I'd still much rather be spending more time with the fans. Yeah, I think, I mean, Charlie, I think, is the definitive, like, I know better sort of person. Yeah. And, and I think that's always going to be really frustrating to watch, even if there are times when he does. But yeah, just the, the always, like, Monday morning quarterbacking every decision, and this is so obvious. And I do feel like this is where they start, they're starting to set the stage for maybe it's the manager's fault, maybe we're doing everything right and the manager can't figure it out. And we don't have any analysis to offer because we didn't see the entire no. checker trade trophy final, mm. right? But it's not, I would say it's not that rare to take the lead and then sit back a little bit and yeah. have a gap between your midfield and your striker because you're trying to hit them on the break. It's not like right. it does. I'm not saying it's the right or the wrong decision, but it was really presented just critically, right? So I don't think this documentary is very kind to Jack Ross at all because no. they never sort of. They, it would have been good, for example, to ask him um, what was the game plan, what went wrong in the Checker Trade Trophy final, rather mm. than letting Charlie Methven have kind of the last say on it. And also having like a few clips from fans that kind of support what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, he's he's definitely uh, hard done by in this one and in the episode to come, for sure. 
also he helped make brexit happen so there's that oh charlie i yeah. think you're talking about jack yes uh <laughs> i don't know what jack ross's politics but he's from scotland so i'm assuming he was not pro-brexit yeah that's yeah that's pretty pretty accurate <laughs> all right i am i'm definitely done with this episode we have all right me too we have one more to go i will just close by saying taylor rockwell thank you for taking the time to talk to me today I wanted to put in a Charlie Methvin quote, but I can't. I'll just say right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening. We'll be back on Thursday with some listener questions. Listener.